I want to get going this evening with a question. The question is this, have you grasped the gospel? Do you believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone? I don't mean merely do you understand it intellectually, I actually mean do you believe it? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone because of his grace to you alone? I get going with that question because uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said the doctrine of justification is one of those truths that we need to beat into our heads continually. Even as Christians, we can so easily turn to our works righteousness. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for me, and when I'm in conversations with, with fellow believers, to, to have a conversation and, and to detect that the person is not resting in Christ alone, but they're resting in their works, their obedience. There's two symptoms of someone who has not grasped justification by faith alone. One of the main symptoms is your inner self-talk will be filled with boasting. So you boast a lot about yourself and about your works. Now this might never come out, but it will be taking place on the inside. You'll think to yourself, I'm a good Christian, I'm a strong Christian. I read my Bible, I pray, I come to church. I don't just come to church once, I come to church twice in the Lord's Day. I go to the prayer meeting. And very easily, you play the, the, the comparison game. I'm a better Christian than those other Christians who don't do all these things. I take my faith seriously. One of the ways that this inner boasting uh, can manifest itself is not actually spilling out with you saying, I think I'm a better Christian. That, that'll never happen. But if you're criticized, you'll be really touchy, really prickly. And if you see someone else have a moral lapse, you'll be very quick to say, I cannot believe they did that. I would never dream of doing such a thing like that. Because you're resting in your own righteousness and not in the one that's been provided for you in Christ. Another major fruit of someone who hasn't grasped the doctrine of justification is not only do you boast in yourself and in your own works, ironically, paradoxically, at the same time as boasting in yourself, you hate yourself. There's lots of self-loathing. You feel deeply insecure. Because you base your standing on your own good works, making you right with God. That means that when you sin, when you mess up, you feel so insecure. You don't know if God loves you. And so you struggle. You don't feel comfortable in your own skin, spiritually speaking. You look at your life and, your life and you know you're, you're inconsistent. And so you think God mustn't love me. Let me ask you the question, have you grasped the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Do you believe in Christ alone 
for salvation. I mention that because in this section of Romans, Paul is laboring the point regarding the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He's just expounded it in chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, a glorious, dazzling exposition of the doctrine. And then in verses 27 through 31 of chapter 3, Paul, the wise pastor, draws out the pastoral implications for believing in this doctrine. And if you were here last week, you'll remember what he said. If you believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you will not boast in yourself or in your works. You'll never think, how marvelous am I? You will only ever boast in Christ and how marvelous he is and how marvelous his work on your behalf was. He also said there's no room for discrimination. Jew and Gentile, we stand on level ground before the cross. And then he went on to say in verse 31, there is no room for antinomianism. If you believe in the doctrine of justification, it's not a license to go and sin. No, Christ has upheld the law perfectly. Christ has taken the curse because we've broken the law. And in response to Christ's amazing work of salvation, our response is one of gratitude, which is the fuel of obedience to the law. As Paul picks things up in chapter 4, he continues to draw out and tease out the pastoral implications of believing in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We need to beat this truth into our heads and our hearts continually. We need to make sure we're not resting in ourselves and on our own works, but resting in Christ and in Christ alone. If you were here last week, you'll remember what it felt like was Paul was having this imaginary, uh, or imaginary uh, conversation with a Jew. It's sort of like a question and answer. So if you look back at chapter 3 and verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? Paul's response, it is exclu- excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works or by no, but by the law of faith. Well, as we come to chapter 4, it's like that question and answer session continues. This imaginary Jew comes to Paul He's heard what Paul said regarding the doctrine of justification. He's heard Paul draw out some of the implications, but he's, st- he's not convinced. And so tonight, we're going to look at this section of Romans chapter 1 with two main headings. What about Abraham and what about David? What about Abraham when it comes to the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Look at verse 1. What then shall we say, says this imaginary Jew, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. This imaginary Jew has just heard Paul say that if you are saved by faith alone, you can't boast in yourself. This Jew hears that and thinks, hold on a minute, what about Abraham? Now we need to understand in in the Jewish mindset, Salvation was based on works righteousness, at least for many of the Jews living in Paul's time. In fact, Paul himself, before he became a Christian, he was resting his confidence in who he was and what he had done. We read about that in Philippians chapter 3. He had every reason to have confidence in the flesh. And with regards to the law, he thought of himself as blameless. 
His standing before God was dependent on his law-keeping. And this imaginary Jew who raises this question, when he thought of Abraham, as many other Jews, they thought of Abraham not just as a father of faith, but the one who was justified on the basis of his obedience. Just think about this, right? What's the first thing we learn about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? God asked him to leave his country, his people, his father's household, to go to a land that he would show him. And he obeyed. What's one of the last things we learn about Abraham? When God gives him his son Isaac, God says to him, take your son, your one and only son, the son you love, and sacrifice him. And Abraham does what? He obeys. So it's unsurprising that for many a Jew, when they thought of how Abraham was justified, made right in God's sight, it was on the basis of his obedience. And so, verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about. Come on, Abraham's exception. He can boast. He was obedient. And Paul's response is, but not before God. Why not? Look at what he says in verse 3. For what does the Scriptures say? And this is a key question. What does the Scripture say regarding Abraham? Was he saved by his obedience? Now, it's interesting, just before we, we judge this imaginary Jew and the Jews in the first century for believing in a works righteousness, I meet many a Christian in a conversation, and you're speaking to them about the Bible, and it'll come out that they think everybody in the New Testament was saved by faith, and everyone in the Old Testament was saved by law, keeping the law. And maybe you think that yourself, or maybe you, you've learned that's not the case. Well, that's what was going on here. That was in the mindset of many a Jew. Paul says, what does the Scripture say? Any belief we have, we've got to test it against the touchstone that is the Scriptures. We've got to take it to the highest court of appeal, which is the Word of God. So what does Paul say? What, what, what does the Scripture say? Well, look at what he says in verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The Old Testament scriptures are crystal clear on this. Abraham was saved by faith alone. How was he made right by God? By his obedience? Nope. By his good works? No. Here Paul takes Abraham away from the proponents of works righteousness and he brilliantly sets him forth as an example of a person who was saved by faith. He knocks down this argument. Abraham's got no reason for boasting before God. Now see, if you think about it for long enough, it doesn't make sense that anyone should ever have reason to boast before God in themselves. Why were we made? to worship God, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. Why would we ever want to spend our lives boasting in ourselves on the basis of what we've done? When you've got a sinful, twisted, warped mind, which is a natural man, you'll want to make everything about self and not about God. You know, I mentioned one of my seminary professors this morning, Here's another nugget he shared with me when I was in seminary. He said, you know one of the most blasphemous things that we do as Christians? We come into church, 
And whilst we sit in church in a worship service, he starts thinking about ourselves. And we look around the church and we look at other Christians and we you see, it's interesting, when the Bible's been read, he looks so distracted. Or when we're singing, we look over and say, she, she, she's not even singing, she's not even paying attention. When, when the sermon's been preached, we look at the back of someone's head and we start thinking about them and we start thinking, you know, they don't look like they're listening. They're, they're, they're clearly not a strong Christian as I am. All the while, we don't realize that, that we're not thinking on God. We're really thinking about how do we measure up and how do we compare to other people. We think about ourselves better. And the, and the huge contradiction is, why are we here? We're here to worship God and we're sitting there and we're actually worshiping ourselves. If you operate under a works-based salvation, you'll find it easy to think about yourself in worship. It's all about what you do and not what Christ has done for you. Now, Paul understands that people who operate under this works-based salvation, they, they operate under a system of obligation. God should reward me for my obedience, for my work. They've rejected a grace-based understanding of salvation that God gives to people what they don't deserve. Now, if you're someone who thinks that you're saved by your works, if you're someone who operates by a, 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 an obligation system of salvation, you really need to think about that because you don't want what you truly deserve because your works aren't perfect. In fact, more often than not, you do works that are rebellious and sinful, and what they deserve is damnation forever. You want to live your life under a system of grace where God gives what you don't deserve, salvation. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't merit it. It's interesting, Paul understanding that, that this is what these people need, that this is what the Jews need to understand. He, he now illustrates it in verse 4. And he uses an illustration from everyday life. He says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. All three church ministers get paid on the 28th of every month. And uh, it's one of those days I, I look forward to payday. You know, you work and then you get your pay. But never did I get my pay and think to myself, how generous, what, how gracious of the Free Church of Scotland to put this money in my bank account. What a gift that I don't deserve. I don't suspect you do that either. When we work, we understand that our employer has an obligation to give us our due. So you should get what you deserve. That's works-based righteousness. That's not Christianity. In Christianity, it's verse 5, and to the one who does not work, now when he uses work there, he means work for their salvation, do good works, and can it wait, carry them favor with God. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, meaning he gets a gift he doesn't deserve. 
And this verse, verse 5, is one of the best verses in all of Scripture because it succinctly summarizes the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Salvation is given as a free gift to the undeserving. It is not what we are due on the basis of what we have done. It is what God graciously chooses to give us on the basis of us believing in him who justifies the ungodly. And Abraham is the best example. You know, do you know that Abraham spent most of his life not as a God-fearer? Most of his life was spent as a pagan. So there's a little verse in Joshua, chapter 24, verse 2, that tells us this. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So the first thing we know about Abraham is that he was a pagan before he was called by God to leave his home and his father's household and go to the land that the Lord was showing him. But as we read through the story of Abraham, we don't discover that he's this godly man full of obedience. We actually discover that he's this ungodly man. And often there's some obedience and there's great faithlessness. So what does he do? Two occasions. He lies regarding his wife, Sarah. He says that she's his sister to save his own skin. He would rather have his wife die, be captured, be taken into a harem, than him die. He's a habitual liar. And his son actually inherits his same sin trait. Not only that, when, when God tells him he's going to be a, a father in his old age, he laughs in the face of God. He, in disbelief, he's like, I don't believe you, God. And so Abraham, the reason I say he's the perfect example of verse 5, the God who justifies the ungodly, is because you look at Abraham's life, and it's not a life of perfect obedience. It's a life filled with faithlessness. The majority of it to begin with was a life of worshiping other gods. But he believed God who justifies the ungodly. Maybe I can put it like this. Ungodliness is the prerequisite for justification by faith alone. You cannot be made right with God if you think you're good. You cannot be made right with God if you think it depends on your own goodness or your own performance or your own good works or your law keeping. You can only be justified by faith alone and Christ alone if you're willing to hold your hands up and say, I am ungodly. I am spiritually speaking bankrupt. Only then will you trust in what God has done in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make you right. Now, just before we leave Abraham, I I need you to see that there's a key word that's appeared again and again, and it's the word count. Uh, Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies him godly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is an accounting term, and this is the best explanation of the gospel. When Abraham believed in the God who justifies, what happened was his sins, his transgressions that were on his account were transferred to Christ's account. And Christ on the cross paid the penalty, took the punishment for his sins, and Christ's perfect righteousness was 
transferred to Abram's account. Therefore, he was justified, but it was all because of him trusting in him who justifies the ungodly that his faith was reckoned, counted as righteousness. Now, justification by faith alone is a doctrine that runs from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament. We are all saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Abraham was saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, the question that might come to your head is, how could you say that Abraham was saved by faith alone in Christ alone? Christ hadn't come. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw and was glad. Or Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 tells of us the promises spoken to Abraham that he would have an offspring, and from his offspring, one of them would be a blessing to the nations. He saw Christ. He longed for the day that one of his offspring, knowing that he would be the Messiah, would come and he would receive the blessing of salvation. So Paul's response to this imaginary Jew, so what about Abraham? That was a bad example. Abraham was saved by faith alone. Now very briefly and secondly, Paul then, he wants to continue to drive home this point and he understands this is going to be hard for the Jews to accept. This is a hard doctrine to accept. We are saved merely on the basis of trusting what Christ has done in our behalf. So he says, what about David? Every Jew knew King David, the greatest king of Israel. He was second only behind Abraham, the father of the Jews. What about King David? And you can imagine the imaginary Jew thinking to himself, well, you probably shouldn't use David because remember why God chose him to be king. Because he was a man after God's own heart. And remember, one of the first things we learn about young David, the shepherd boy, is that he goes in faith and obedience and he kills Goliath. And if we look at the reign of David, the, the nation of Israel expanded its borders, it experienced prosperity. David was a, a king of faith and obedience. And you can imagine Paul saying, hold on, hold on a minute. Let's not airbrush the testimony of David. Let's talk about the testimony of David. What's he also remembered for? Let's not just brush under the carpet that massive moment in his life. David's life was a life of faith and faithlessness, of moments of spectacular godliness and then moments of spectacular ungodliness. Bathsheba, when David should have been out fighting with his men. He stayed at home and in his palace, wandered the rooftop, saw the woman bathing, said to one of his servants, go get her, slept with her. She falls pregnant, wasn't expecting it, then becomes a co-conspirator in, in murder, responsible for Uriah's death. If David was to get what he deserved on the system of works-based righteousness, David deserves death. But what's David's testimony? Psalm 32. So, so look at what he, Paul says, beginning in verse 6. Just as David also speaks of this blessing, the blessing of justification by faith alone, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Here's Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see it? David was not saved on the basis of his obedience. David's testimony is that when he comes before God after his sin with Bathsheba, his testimony is that the reason why he has a right standing with God is because his lawless deeds have been forgiven, his sins have been covered. Why? Because the Lord is not counting his sins against him. Because he's put faith in God's Messiah. And his sin has been transferred to the Messiah's account. And the Messiah's righteousness has been transferred to his account. His sins are covered. The blood of Jesus has blotted out all of them, canceled all of them, removed them as far as the east is from the west. So that David comes in Psalm 32, and what does he sing about? Justification by works? No. The wonderful truth of justification by faith alone. Here's David, this man who believes in the God, who justifies the ungodly, rejoicing in the news that the Messiah would cover, would not count his sin against him. Here's a question. Are you trusting in Christ? Or are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in Christ's finished work? Or are you trusting in your own good works? Have you ever read the book, The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner? One day you will read it. When you get to heaven's library, your copy will be there. Those of you who have trusted in Christ. I mean, you go to take it off the shelf and you, you go to read your own autobiography. Every page will be blank. You're a justified sinner and all your sins are gone. The righteousness of Christ covers them all. All of his obedience in place of your disobedience. If there's any book you want to read, it will be the account of Christ's perfect obedience to the law of God. But your story will be his story because you've been made righteous in him. Now, here's where we can apply this. The person who has grasped if we can go back to my original question, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. They will have this battle where the last thing you want to do is boast about yourself and your inner talk. You'll have this battle. I don't want to boast in my good works. They're like filthy rags in the sight of Almighty God. I want to boast in the Savior who loved me and died for me and has given me what I don't deserve. The, the person who's, who's, who's grasped the doctrine of justification by faith alone loves coming to church, not so they can look around church and see who's doing what and think about yourself in comparison to them. I come to church because I just cannot wait to burst out in a song and praise for the God who loves me. Now, admittedly, there are times we don't come like that because we're sinners and we can come and we're, we're sluggards when it comes to worship and we're, and we're slothful. We don't prepare our hearts, but, but, but in the right spirit, we, we, we know because we've been saved by God's amazing grace that the only appropriate response is to sing His praise, to boast in Him and not in ourselves. 
Instead of being someone who's touchy to criticisms, we take criticism and we can own the criticism and say, actually, like the Apostle Paul, I would say, I'm the chief of sinners. You think I'm bad? I'm worse than you think. I know myself. I fall so far short of God's glory. And, and, and when you hear about someone's moral lapse, you're, you're, if you've grasped the doctrine of justification of, by faith alone, your first response is never, I think, I could never imagine me doing that. Your first response is only because of the grace of God that I've not done that. You understand that you're just one breath away, you're just one moment away from, from, from falling into sin and, and, and it's only because God's preserving and keeping you that you've not had the same, perhaps, moral lapse as someone else. And the person who's come to understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone, they understand I don't need to be insecure about my standing before God. In fact, I can be totally con- confident about who I am before God. And that's not arrogant, and that's not cocky, that's just Christian. That's true humility. Because if it's on the basis of what Christ has done, I can rest secure. He's done it. He's finished it. It's on the basis of him, not me. And so we can glory in our security. We are guaranteed to be right in God's sight forevermore. It's not on the basis of us. It's on the basis of him. So can I ask you the question again? Have you grasped the gospel? Do you understand that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, because of grace alone, to the glory of God alone? And if you say yes, do you know what the response is? Gratitude. Gratitude. And gratitude fuels obedience. And gratitude fuels worship. And so let's respond and let's glory in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, the, the gospel, the, the good news of what your Son has done is truly, truly good news. Good news for our hearts, good news for our minds, good news for our souls. And we want to come before you and we just want to boast in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's done in our behalf. We want to thank you that we live under the reign of grace, not under the obligation of what righteousness. We want to thank you that we don't get what we deserve, but we get what we don't deserve in your son, salvation. We want to thank you that you would take us sinners that you would declare us righteous. And even as those who are now righteous in your sight and yet who still sin and battle with indwelling sin, we thank you that we can come and confess our sin and know the blessedness that our sin will not be counted against us because Christ has paid it all. Christ has taken away our sin and we rejoice in the gospel. God, would you forgive us for when we are slow to praise you? Would you forgive us when we keep this good news to ourselves? We've got such good news 
not just to sing about, but to shout about and to tell the whole world about that by faith alone in your Son alone, it can come to know the wonder of salvation. So we pray that even as we go from here and into this week, it would be gratitude that leads us and keeps us living for you and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.